With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast, uh, presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm, and today we are going to talk about a bunch of different things, primarily USC and what to expect from them Friday night in Boulder. But first, uh, I want to tell you a little bit more about Drift Car Sharing. Um, You've probably heard me talk about it before. The way it works is you drop your car off at their lot, at Denver International Airport, and they take care of it for you. You don't have to pay for parking. They'll actually rent it out to somebody else so that you get to make money off of leaving your car in a parking lot, or at least it feels like it because, you know, you're gone. But but instead of paying, you make money yourself. Even if they can't rent it out, you won't make any money, but they will clean it for you inside and out. It's a great deal. You, you got to check it out. Um, and also, if you're trying to rent a car because you are on vacation, you can use the money that you make by dropping your car off on renting a car wherever you're going, and it just works perfectly. Their prices are some of the best that you will find anywhere. And if you're like me and you're under 25, then there's no fee for you for being under 25. Typically, it's 25, 50 bucks a day uh, to rent a car on top of the normal cost if you're under 25. It's a great deal. Uh, definitely check it out, especially if you're somebody who's going to be gone long term. Uh, might as well make a bunch of money uh, while you're you're out of town. Okay, uh, that covers drift car sharing. There is one thing that I totally missed yesterday that was going to be one of the big things that I was going to talk about. Got sidetracked by the press conference. It was going, going to be early uh, in the show to try to get all of you out to Boulder today, print up field where uh, Taylor Korniak and J.J. Tompkins, friends of the podcast, are hosting Stanford. Um, I know all of us here at the DNVR Buffs podcast, presented by Drift Car Sharing, are big buff soccer fans, and you guys are too. And so you know that Stanford is the second best team in the country. And they are the second best team in the country for a bunch of reasons, 
including their striker, uh, whose name I'm spacing on right now. Uh, but she's won the last couple Herman Award- Awards, which are given to the best soccer player in the country. She's blowing everybody out of the water in terms of scoring. It's uh, it's going to be a great match. It's at three today. I'm definitely telling you guys too late for you to actually get up there yourselves. And I feel bad about that. I mean, it's three o'clock on a Thursday. Most of you guys are probably busy. If you can make it up there, or I guess, again, you can't hear this in time. Hopefully you guys are making that drive. You're going out there to support them. This is the last home weekend of soccer for the bus. They have one more weekend before they get into the tournament. And this is obviously a big match. If they could bring down Stanford, that'd be so huge. And there'd be a good chance that they'd be hosting some playoff tournament soccer here in Boulder, which is just so much fun. Soccer that means something is just a blast. Like, like I get how people say that it's a little bit dry just because there isn't all this scoring. Um, I think that's why hockey has more of a following than soccer because it's similar in some ways, but also hockey is just a little bit faster. The thing about soccer, though, is that every goal just means so much. And every time that they get down the field, you're, you're, it's just tense. I don't know. I love the feeling. I'm a new soccer fan here, and... Our friends, Taylor and JJ, big reason why. Uh, in the playoffs, though, in the tournament, it's it's just something else. It's just something else, and hopefully they'll be around. Uh, this isn't their last game today, though. They also play Cal on Saturday, and that's a game that I know you guys can get. Oh, I said Saturday. I meant Sunday. I know that's a game that you guys can get out to. That's the last time that any of these guys are going to be, or girls, women, uh, not not used to it. This should be more natural. Uh, but but yeah, you know, this is the last time that any of them, JJ Taylor, four other seniors are going to get to play one o'clock on Sunday. If you guys are Broncos fans, because most of you are living around here, that will be just in time for the Colts to build a big lead over Denver, which they will guarantee it. And at halftime. You can call it quits and come watch soccer because that's a game that the Buffs are going to win and then hopefully host some playoff soccer matches here in Boulder. I'm not sure if they call it like playoffs, the tournament. Um, Right now, by RPI, Colorado's ranked 35th. Little low, but wins over Stanford, which is actually number one in uh, RPI, and Cal, which is 36, one spot behind Colorado, it's a big weekend. It's just such a big weekend. Uh, and hopefully you guys are as excited about it as I am. Also, those aren't the only sports that are going on. Uh, you may have heard that Buffs basketball has a preseason game on Saturday uh, here at the event center. I'm not sure. I, th- I think some people call it like the keg. Um, explain that to me if you want. I guess I guess it's probably like the can Pepsi because like Pepsi Center comes in the can keg because it's the cu event center and maybe is it coors related somehow i don't understand i don't know somebody explain that to me if you want um or i could be totally off on that actually thing oh is the keg i don't i i just don't understand um Yes, but they play Pomona Pitzer 1 o'clock on Saturday. There is no Buffs football to watch. Uh, Tickets range from $5 to $10. So really no excuse not be there, especially if for some reason, like, 
you're, you get free tickets, you're a student, something like that, you know. Uh, come check it out. First chance to watch them. Uh, then next Friday, if I'm doing the math right, five, ten, no, no, two Fridays from now. Then they got uh, a week and a half off before they head to China, Shanghai, China, to take on Arizona State in a game that we have talked a lot about and we will be talking a lot more about leading up to that game. Um, that's also a fun week. See, now now my schedule is just built off of, oh, Ashad Clayton is visiting uh, for the Stanford game that same weekend here. So we'll be talking a lot about that too. Um, thinking ahead though, I think that that's going to be pretty big for us. Our first real look is Saturday though, so be there for that. Um, one more huge thing going on this weekend, the Buffs play USC tomorrow. And before I get into what to watch for from USC. And we touched on the injuries yesterday. I I think that that's like a reason of hope, and that's why I wanted to lead with it. You know, when you look at these two teams, Colorado, bottom of the Pac-12 South. USC, top of the Pac-12 South. That doesn't necessarily sum up everything about it. And there are reasons to think that the Buffs actually have a little bit better shot than those stats combined with the... uh, 0-13 0-13 record Colorado has against USC would lead you to believe. One of those, the injuries which you touched, touched on yesterday. And before we get into all of that, I want to talk about what this win would mean for Mel Tucker in Boulder. Uh, I I want to hear your takes. I want to hear your takes on this as well. So anything you disagree with me on, tell me. We, we love arguing. That's how all of this is supposed to work. Uh, so... Here's here's my take. I think that it could become a, the the signature win for Mel Tucker if it's, you know, like a good game or even if it's not, even if it's a blowout. No, no, I think it has to be a close game because if it's a blowout then you can say, "Oh, USC's hurt off night." If it's a tight game, I really do believe that coming out on top under the lights at Folsom #Pac12 after dark would be bigger than Nebraska. And I know that that probably riles some people up, knowing that the hate is there for Nebraska. You know, talking to Ben Burroughs at the... Uh, I think it was... It was definitely him who said it. He said, uh, at when we were watching the... Let's see, what was that last week? Washington State last week, trying to block it out, to be honest. Um, he said, you know... If, if we win one game this season and that game's Nebraska, that's a success. And Mel Tucker did that. And right now, I, I think that might be his signature win. I think that you could make the case for Arizona State beating an, a, a ranked opponent on the road, uh, beating a hated rival at home in such a close game. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we have one more podcast. We're actually going to tape it tonight and... Put it out early tomorrow morning so you guys will have something to listen to on game day. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, let us know if you have time this afternoon whether you think this would be the signature win, whether Arizona State, whether US or whether Nebraska is. But the thing about this USC game is that you know Nebraska was on the map. Nebraska was a team that was. Was I mean, they were ranked top top 25. They were 24th. There was some hype building around them. Uh, bus fans all called that it was not hype that was deserved. USC is an established powerhouse. USC is a team that Colorado has never been beaten or has never been able to beat before. 
that makes this game feel unwinnable. And and there are other reasons to think that it's unwinnable as well. I mean, I, I'll pull up the line here because I haven't checked in a couple days, but USC is big favorites. They've been winning a lot of games. They just blew out Arizona last week, who you may remember the Buffs lost to in pretty painful fashion. USC is now a 13.5-point favorite over Colorado. And, and you know, it just feels so weird to think about that because, you know, Colorado's 3-4. and four. USC is 4-3. and three. Sure, you can look at it and say the losses for USC might be worse or, or better than the losses that Colorado has. You know, they lost to Notre Dame, a ranked team. Colorado lost to uh, Air Force. Good football team, underrated football team. I think we're seeing them now make a run in the Mountain West Conference, and it's a run that I kind of expected. I don't like saying stuff like that, but, you know, that's what it was. Uh, they, they also lost to BYU in overtime. BYU is a good football team. They wash, lost to Washington, and Washington was ranked 17th at the time. Uh, I can't remember what they're ranked now. It doesn't matter. Point is, their losses are pretty pretty good losses in terms of losses. And then they blew out Arizona this week, 41-14. They beat Utah, uh, ranked 10th at the time. They've fallen down the polls a little bit, but they're still looking like probably the best football team, now them and USC, uh, in the Pac-12 South. And they they beat Utah by a touchdown. They beat Stanford. 45-20, a game that's probably going to be a toss-up for Colorado. Also, they beat Fresno State, so sure. That's that's a pretty good resume, and it's a good football team. It's a team that's deep with talent, and Clay Helton, the head coach, is kind of on the hot seat for not doing more with that talent, and that makes this game a little more winnable, just knowing that you have a coach who isn't going to put the talent in the best possible situation. It may not be the worst situation either, but, you know, you, 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 you like to see stuff like that. They have a freshman quarterback. And freshman quarterbacks are unstable. You know, he's played well. Nine touchdowns, four interceptions, completing 73.6% of his passes. But, you know, he, he hasn't always looked perfect. He's been up and down, and this week against Arizona wasn't wasn't his best performance. You know, fifty seven point four QBR. Uh, you can like that stat if you want. Again, that's out of a hundred. Um, eight nineteen to twenty eight, two hundred thirty two yards, two touchdowns, uh, sacked twice. It's not terrible, obviously, but he only has one three hundred yard passing game, and that's when he tore apart the Stanford defense. Um, he's been, I don't know. I don't know. He's, he's a freshman. You get to him, you rattle him. That gives you a chance. And there's one more point before we start digging deep into the details that I want to make. Remember how in the last couple of games, particularly Washington State, it felt like Colorado could be in a game against the better opponent, and then they just kind of blew it. Um the same thing against Oregon as well. There were opportunities that they didn't capitalize on, and it still would have been tough to win that game, but early on, you know, you, you get those scores when you're moving the ball. You get into the end zone. They blew opportunities. 
that's what happened with USC and Arizona last week. USC was stopped on their first drive, and then Arizona fumbled the punt. They muffed the punt. USC scores. They kick the field goal to go up three zip. And that's, you know, you just spotted the better team three points. And then on the next possession, Arizona drives down the field, gets into field goal range, and misses the field goal. Could have tied the game up. You know, this is the kind of stuff that was happening throughout this game. It's these little mistakes that just turn the game into a blowout instead of making it a close game. And and that's what the inferior team, the less talented team, has to do is not make those mistakes. We've seen Colorado make those mistakes the last couple of weeks, just like Arizona did against USC. We've seen USC capitalize on the mistakes. Now it's just time to see whether whether Colorado can clean those up. And Mills talked a lot about the different ways that he thinks they can do that through watching the game together, pointing out every mistake, making sure everybody sees the mistake that's led to problems on each individual play, bringing in refs to call out everything that's wrong instead of asking the coaches to point them out to the players afterward. They're they're working on it. Who knows if it'll actually work out, but that's what's going on. It's just whether they can clean those mistakes up. Um, Before we move on, talk details of USC... I want to talk about Breckenridge Brewery, uh, official beer BSN Denver. You know how much we love them. After the Nuggets game last night, uh, the Nuggets guys did a live stream from the lounge set we have at uh, DNVR headquarters, and they all had the vanilla porter, which they called the vanilla porter junior, named after Michael Porter Jr., so that was kind of the go-to there. If you guys are watching the Nuggets, getting excited like we all are, you should probably be drinking the Vanilla Porter Jr. as well. There's no reason not to, especially now that it's winter. It's kind of a more wintry beer, I've heard. Uh, I don't know how any of that works. But check them out. That's one of my favorites. Uh, it's one of the favorites around the office, one that we always keep in stock. Uh, check out the Vanilla Porter. And if you don't know where to check it out, then go to the beer locator at the... Uh, Breckenridge Brewery website, and it will tell you where you can find that. Again, they're in 36 different states, so you can probably find whatever beer you want to try somewhere. Uh, Also want to tell you about Strava Craft Coffee. Strava Craft is a great CBD-infused coffee. It'll help with back pain, IBS, anxiety, a whole bunch of different things. That's what CBD does, is just fix all sorts of stuff, kind of like magic. Even if you don't feel like you need it, it's worth trying, especially if you're drinking coffee anyway. Why not make it a coffee that, who knows, could do something else for you as well. It's 20% off if you use the code BSN2019, uh, and and it'll save 20%, and they ship it right to your door. Check them out. it's good coffee. Does good stuff for you as well. Not psychoactive. Always want to throw that in there. Okay. Uh, time to dig into USC. And everything that they really do starts with the offense. Uh, starts with wide receiver Michael Pittman. That's what that's where we're going to uh, get this conversation going. Uh, Michael Pittman is a big guy. Uh, he uses his size to just out muscle cornerbacks downfield and against the Buffs depleted secondary 
we'll see if he can do that. It, it wouldn't be a surprise. Uh, his dad, by the way, might also named Michael Pittman, uh, was was the running back for the Buccaneers. Uh, he also played for the Broncos for a year or two. He was always one of my favorites. I think he was the one who's had massive biceps. I, I think that that was definitely him. Like there was like a whole story about how he has like 38 inch biceps or something. There were a bunch of running backs for the Broncos around that time, so it might be something else, but I'm pretty sure it was Michael Pittman. Um, his son, though, also a big dude. 6'4", 225. He's a senior. He's the leader of what probably is the best receiving core in the Pac-12. I think going into the season, we probably thought it was Colorado, but the way they've all performed versus the way all the buffs have performed, I think you've probably got to say that the nod goes to USC which is disappointing. Pittman is being used differently this year. Uh, he, he, he was more of a deep play threat earlier in his career as a sophomore, as a junior. They looked to get him the ball downfield, and they still try to do that, but they've almost put him in sort of a LaVisca Chenault role from a year ago. You know, he scored last week on a screen from like the 10-yard line, just a little wide receiver screen bubble screen, get the ball out to him, let him make a play, get into the end zone. He's tough to stop. He's actually, I mean, the same weight as LaVisca, but a couple pounds heavier. Big guy. Um, He's also doing like the same like deep play stuff. Uh, So far this year, he has a few really big games. Uh, the, The game against Utah stands out. 10 catches, 232 yards, a touchdown. He, he was a monster. Uh, I've been following along with him. You see the highlights all over. Uh, the two touchdowns against BYU, another big game. Um, outside of that, meh, he, he's been he's been good. He's been contributing. He hasn't had many quiet outings, but they've kind of been modest. Um, so yeah, so far this season, he is averaging... Uh, a little under 90 yards a game, uh, about six receptions a game, uh, and that's what he does. Uh, also, reading through the media guide, I also saw that if he ever goes in as a kick returner, which I guess is a potential, they already have somebody, like their defensive number six also uh, is on like the kick return team, and if they put Pittman in, they'll put another jersey on that's number 96. Weird thing, but there you go. And behind Pittman, they have some depth. Uh, right now, I mean, they, they they go six deep at receiver typically, um, but but the top three guys definitely have more production than anybody else. Be, behind Michael Pittman, who's leading the team in catches, leading the team in yards, leading the team in touchdowns, some of those pretty close stats. Um, actually, all of them kind of close. He has 43 catches. Tyler Vaughn has 42 Amon Ross St. Brown has 35. We look at the yards, 599, 534, 377. Five touchdowns, four touchdowns, four touchdowns. It's really a three-receiver group that the Buffs need to watch out for. Uh, Tyler Vaughns, he is another big-body guy. 6'2", 190. Great receiver. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown... Uh, comes from a very athletic family. His his dad was two-time Mr. Universe 
like three-time Mr. USA, or maybe they have a different title for the USA one, but whatever, best bodybuilder in the universe a couple times. Um, 6'1", 195. He's only a sophomore. Uh, Amon Ra is. His brother, Equiminius, plays for the Packers. Also, another weird thing, I don't know where the Saint comes from, because Amon Ra, Saint Brown is his last name, and his dad's last name was just Brown. So maybe that's like, instead of a hyphen, his mom is Saint something. I'm not really sure. I'll, I'll, I should probably dig into that one and see what's going on. But that's the passing game. And again, JT Daniels, who was supposed to take a big step forward this year, uh, got hurt in the first game, hasn't returned. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, he's out for the year. KJ Costello, the Stanford quarterback, is back. Yeah, he's back. And instead of uh, Daniels, they went to Caden uh, Slovis, who got hurt in another game. And they had to bring in Matt Fink, who tore it up. So even though they're playing, you know, a, a young quarterback's a starter, supposed to be good, he's out. Then they have a freshman who was a question mark. He's been good. But then when he was out, they brought in a, a, a vet who's been on the team for three, four years. And he was also good. So they have this depth that's been obvious at quarterback that you can see throughout the roster as well, um, particularly at running back. Uh, they've been pretty balanced. And they've been balanced because they, they've they kind of rotated, first of all, but also a couple guys got hurt. Uh, Vivai Malapai, Vivai Malapai, I, I should look up how to say his name before this game. Um, I don't believe he's back this week, but carried the ball 87 times, 418 yards. He's rushing for about 4.7 yards per carry. Uh, behind him, so here's the rushing yards, 418, 313, 296 pretty balanced uh Marquis Stepp was the number two guy I think he was also hurt and then Stephen Carr USC's third back uh also hurt and so that meant that Keenan Kristen got his first action of the season last week against Arizona and he tore it up he carried the ball eight times for 103 yards two touchdowns that's a 12.9 average, and obviously people are excited about him. Um, you know, he's a freshman. He's really fast. He can break away. You you really hope that Colorado will find a way to bottle him up. You know, they've given up the big plays. This is kind of concerning, even though, again, the talent is at wide receiver. The, the talent is definitely at wide receiver for this team. And the offensive line for USC hasn't been great. It's been good at times. It's looked pretty bad at others. We'll see what happens. But, you know, it's, it's just frustrating that they have so many talented players all the way throughout their roster. And you just hope that actually Mel Tucker can, can turn Colorado into a school like that. Behind him, though... Uh, I, I believe he was actually the last scholarship running back on the roster. So they took a receiver, a slot receiver, and threw him back to running back. And so he'll be their number two this week. That's how shallow they are at running back. Again, this is kind of that quasi-air raid system. It isn't the full-on air raid that you see with Washington State and Mike Leach, but there are a lot of those principles, and they definitely are pass happy offense 
Um, and, and their offensive personnel really fits that. They're very deep at receiver. They have some of the best talent in the country, maybe, at receiver. And they have a good freshman quarterback who's been able to take advantage of that talent so far. Um, definitely expect to see more from the passing game. Watching the freshman at running back, 5'10", 181. Uh, hopefully you can contain him. He's just an electric little guy trying to make big plays. Took in a 55-yarder. Half of his production uh, in that game came from one play. Got to keep him contained. Got to stay physical up front. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think that that pretty much sums up the offense for USC. Uh, 4-0 at home. 0-3 on the road. You'll want to see the Puffs extend that. Uh, defensively, USC is very talented, of course, but again, the injuries are making it tough. I think they were down to, let's see, they had, they had three freshman defensive backs starting last week uh, against Arizona, and one of their safeties, Talanoa Hufanga, a sophomore, dislocated his shoulder, and uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to be back for, uh, oh no, they're not medically cleared to play or practice as of a couple days ago. Safe to assume that uh, he won't be on the field, and neither will defensive end Drake Jackson. Another big loss. Um, another freshman who's kind of been forced into a big role, uh, leading the team in sacks with three and a half, leading the team in tackles for loss with eight and a half. Those are great stats. Those are great stats. I mean, if you're a defender who's putting up a sack and a tackle for loss per game, you're elite. And he has more than a tackle for loss for a game per game. And he's about half a sack. So I, as, as much as you hate to see a guy get hurt, miss time, it's, uh, it's, it, it makes things a lot easier for, uh, for Colorado. They did have two cornerbacks, uh, return to practice this week. Uh, there's, there's some reason to believe that they will be back this week. Uh, Greg Johnson, Elijah Griffin, um, hope I mean, you hope for their sake that they're back uh, to make things tougher. I still think that that's a matchup that Colorado likes. Uh, going at these cornerbacks, they're 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 prototypes. I mean, six two two oh five, six one one ninety, six foot one seventy, six foot one eighty. Like they're pretty long, maybe a little bit light. Guys who could probably get pushed around by Lavisca Chenault but guys who are able to stick with receivers, they're speedsters. I mean, you're, they're your prototypical cornerbacks. Then the nickel they have, uh, I guess Greg Johnson will likely return this week. And, uh, you know, he's he's just a, a prototypical nickel guy. 5'11", 190, a little bulky, uh, but small, quick, uh and again, 190 isn't all that bulky. It's just compared to those other guys. Uh, you know, he's physical and he can make tackles because that's the other part of being a nickel cornerback is that not only can you cover, not only you have the quickness to go inside or outside, those those stretch runs that are coming to your, your side, you have to get upfield and make the play. And he's a guy who can do that. Um, also worth noting, uh, should go back to that defensive line, and mentioned that uh, Jay Tufele is one of the best defensive tackles in the country. Uh, he doesn't quite have the numbers that a guy like Drake Jackson has just because he is more of an interior guy. 
but again, uh, he's getting sacks through the middle of the field. He's getting tackles for loss, breaking through. Uh, one of the best in the country and only a sophomore. So definitely keep an eye out for number 78 in the middle of that defense. Okay, I think that that's probably good enough. I think that we all have a good read on this team. Story is injuries. Story is they have trouble on the road. Um, honestly, I don't think that things could have broken much better for Colorado to really have a shot to win this game. Um, I guess like maybe if a couple of these guys who have been hurt stick out another week, um, sit on the sidelines another week, sure that would have helped, but I mean, they're down their starting quarterback. Sure, the backup has played well, but he's a freshman. You get him off his spot, get him rattled. Who knows? Again, I'm rewatching this Arizona-USC game again, and Arizona just scored the touchdown to put him up. I think it's going to be 27-0 now, uh, if I remember correctly. And just an open receiver in the back of the end zone. That's what the offense is designed to do, and the quarterback takes advantage. Um, that's that's what they want to do. Uh, yeah. Let's talk for a second about uh, Denver Rubber Company. We love talking about Denver Rubber Company. And really the most important thing about Denver Rubber Company is that they are local. Uh, they've been around Denver since 1972. They can help with big projects. They can help with small projects. Um, I mean, they're just there to serve all of your rubber needs. Uh, it's the most reliable local partner that you can trust for your long-term projects. Uh, they, they'll help with the medical fields, military, electronics, everything. Uh, they're ISO certified. They'll work with you from design to final product. It, they, they give you good prices. Uh, their products will meet your requirements. They have plenty of different materials. Uh, if you have a deadline, if you want help, picking out what exactly you need. If you want to make a big order, anything, uh, just call Denver Rubber Company at 1-800-259-0010 or you can visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr and they'll know that you came from us and we appreciate that. Uh, there you go. Uh, we do have a comment today and I'm pulling that up now and I believe it comes in from our guy uh, Flyby Cygnus who has been at the last couple watch parties, and we've had a blast talking buffs. Um, he has lots of takes, and most of them are actually pretty good. So let's see what he has to say, and I don't think I can talk much longer without actually having... There we go. Uh, he says, Hammer and Hank, wondering if you could... Oh, his name's Michael Harrison. He uses his real name on here. Uh, Hammer and Hank, wonder if you could muse a little bit on Pac-12 football as a whole. As is tradition, the conference is cannibalizing itself, and it feels like uh, it's Oregon at the top and basically everyone else below them. For example, is UCLA beating Stanford a sign that UCLA is better than we thought, or is Stanford just that bad? See, that's a... It's a little of both. Um, UCLA, not a total dumpster fire, but... Like, at least, like, there's a spark in the dumpster still. There's still coals in the dumpster. There's no guarantee that it's going to totally go out. Um, and Stanford is actually really bad. Even with those big lines, they're just not able to capitalize. They're playing the type of football they want more often than not, the low-scoring, grinded-out type of games, but they aren't winning them. And part of it is because they did lose KJ Costello 
for a bit there. Their starting quarterback, an experienced guy, supposed to be one of the top quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Um, so, so I mean, you, you can look at that game and, and really see it both ways. You can see that UCLA is exceeding expectations for sure, but also Stanford is falling well behind theirs. Um, the conference cannibalizing itself. The thing is that they so so they play the the reason people say this is because it's a nine game conference schedule and most most conferences have an eight game conference schedule so that's another guaranteed nine losses somewhere in your conference um whether that's uh guys at the bottom getting more maybe one of those ends up going to a top team uh, and makes them look worse hurts their resume when it comes to the college football playoff but when you look at what's happening right now, it's it's honestly too early for them to be totally cannibalizing themselves. You know, they, they've only played, what, four conference games? And so at this point, they, they should still have some separation. Like, it should be late in the season where, like, okay, this team's making a run, or, or you know, if, if, if that makes sense, like, it shouldn't be at this point that we're saying, well, it looks like they cannibalized themselves again. It should be later in the year when everybody is all the way ground down and the last couple teams who are putting together solid performances are starting to have those losses hit them. Um, they have they have cannibalized themselves. They've really balanced themselves out. But they've done all that in four conference games. That's too quick. I mean, here's what's happening in the Pac-12 South right now. USC and Utah tied at three and one atop the atop the conference. Arizona State at two and two. Arizona two and two. UCLA two and two. Colorado one and three. You look at what's happening in the North. Oregon four and zero. Oh. So there you go. Uh, Oregon State two and two. Washington two and three. Stanford two and three. Cal one and three. Washington State one and three. I mean, they're just all on the same level at this point. And and maybe when we get down to it, we'll see. You know, Oregon gets a loss, and maybe it's a team that they wouldn't have played if they had played an eight-game conference schedule. But they aren't they aren't good enough for that to really matter at this point. They aren't going to have two teams coming out of this. I guess maybe Utah could. I guess Utah, with that loss to USC, could come out and... Um, say you know maybe if that's the game we take away because they that's their only loss this season. I don't think I, I think that they're going to lose another game, maybe two games. They've got to be better for that to come into play, and I think that it will come into play. You know, it it is tough to have those nine more losses scattered throughout your your standings, uh, especially when you're just looking at the overall record. It will be uglier because of that than other Power Five conferences. They, they have one fewer non-conference game. And sure, some of these teams would pick an SEC team, but some would pick a group of five, you know? And, and then you have a chance, if you have a good conference, to, to win all of those games. To, or, or if, if you really are a good conference, then you're coming out of the non-conference schedule a cumulative, what, 750, 675, you know? You know, you're winning two-thirds to three-quarters of your your non-conference games and and sure like no team or no conference is deep from top to bottom like every conference will have some teams at the bottom that'll 
hurt that percentage, but it's balanced out by Oregon winning not only their games against FCS teams, group of five teams, but maybe pulling out that win over Auburn. And, and that kind of shifts that narrative. You know, these, these schools play maybe half of their games against good teams in the non-conference schedule, and the other half are against group of five FCS teams. You should be sweeping those group of five FCS teams, and who knows, maybe the bad teams drop one or two or three, and, and you make up for that by coming out just slightly ahead in the other half of your games um, against the power five teams, and, and that gives you that 750. That is where you would see something hurt this conference. Instead of having these nine losses, maybe you have three losses somewhere in there. But but they, this conference just isn't good enough right now for it to matter. Maybe I here, here here's why. Because if Oregon comes out and they do lose a game, right now I think that they have a solid path to the college football playoff. They keep winning. Their one loss is to Auburn. That's a that's a pretty good loss. Um Maybe they'll get knocked just because it is the Pac-12. Maybe they'll get a bump because it is Oregon. But would you rather see Oregon play a Pac-12 team, a random Pac-12 team, or would you rather see Oregon play a random non-conference team? Because right now, a lot of these Pac-12 teams, they're barely better than your typical group of five team. Um they're they're better than your typical group of five team, but it's not by a wide margin. And and if they aren't, I mean, if we're saying 50-50 that or 50-50 a power five team from another power five conference, it's probably going to be better than the average uh, Pac-12 team. You know what I'm saying? I don't think it's necessarily hurting right now. Um, it just shows more clearly that all these teams really are on pretty similar levels. And they're just going to keep fighting, giving those losses back and forth. They're all going to come out around 500 because who knows? They're all just pretty average football teams. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's how I see the Pac-12 at least. USC, Utah, good football teams. USC can't beat teams. I mean... They have a tough schedule. They really do have a tough schedule. But good teams win games. And they just aren't on that next level where they should be talking college football playoff. Right now they should be saying, huh, we have a path to the Rose Bowl because Oregon could make it to the college football playoff. That's where they are. They're looking at those high-level Pac-12 bowl games. And honestly, my guess is they will lose that game. The Pac-12 still isn't back to what we thought it would be. Uh, The non-conference schedule really didn't help them because they blew all those games they need to be winning the non-conference games to prove that they really are cannibalizing each other when they are beating each other in conference Um, but right now by losing all those non-conference games you say hey these are some bad football teams average football teams that are just beating each other because no team is really good enough to win I think eventually it will turn into that cannibalizing again when you have you know Oregon Washington Stanford, USC, Utah holds on. And maybe Colorado gets in that conversation of being a team who could legitimately make a run at a Pac-12 title. But right now, it's just so obvious that Oregon's the top dog that, meh, you know, you're not too worried about them having to play a ninth conference game against any of these teams. USC, same thing. You look at their non-conference schedule. Tough games. 
tougher games than they would have played against a Pac-12 team. Uh, Washington, uh, they've they've blown a couple of chances, but again, rather see them play a Pac-12 team, you know, and that's it's too bad. But right now they aren't cannibalizing. Um, love the pods and content as always. Looking forward to watching the Buffs beat USC for the first time in school history. I would love to see that. I I think there's a chance. I think there's a path, but not if they the Buffs do what they've done the last couple weeks. P.S. Make sure to put in your dating profile that you won't take pictures for the gram. How far do we want to dig into this? Um, you know what? We we have a couple minutes here. Um, yeah. I've learned a lot of things. One of them is that I'm terrible at Instagram. I figured out Twitter. I feel pretty good about my Twitter game. It's all about just reps. Like you get in there, you you tweet 10 times in a week and you figure out which ones people liked, which ones people didn't like. And you're like, okay, this is this is how you do Twitter. Like you think about the jokes. You think about the spacing. You think about the actual content. You know, how much of my Twitter feed is actually going to be, here's what Mel Tucker set practice day and how much is going to be me making jokes about other things. Um... I feel really good about my Twitter game. I think my Twitter game is actually pushing pushing elite. It's no like Ryan Konigsberg, but he's a master of Twitter. Um, if if he weren't the niche market of Denver sports and buffs, uh, I think he'd have a massive Twitter following. Like if he if he decided he wanted to comment nationally, he he would really blow up. And I'm not on that level, but in terms of like in market tweeters. I'm 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 feeling pretty good. Instagram on the other hand, terrible. I uh I just don't get it and maybe it's just posting things. I feel weird going places and taking pictures, you know, like going to a Rockies game. I I tried to make a push early this summer to get better at Instagram and it just turned into me realizing this is the situation where people who are into Instagram would have some stranger take their picture. You know, you go to a Rockies game, you're sitting up there and you're like, huh, in between innings. Actually, these people do not wait until in between innings. People will be up there batting and they'll try to get somebody to take their picture and everybody rolls their eyes because it's like, no, we're here for the baseball. Some people aren't. The people who are good at Instagram aren't there for the baseball. They're there for the Instagram. And guess what? It looks better in the picture if there's a batter at the plate. And I I just can't... I, I feel like Instagram involves you spending the most Instagram worthy points in your life, the coolest points in your life, thinking about how to make your life look cool. And that's just not something I'm into. And so like when we're up there sitting in the top level of a Rockies game, it's just not worth it to me to find some random millennial who looks like they're good at taking pictures on an iPhone. That's the other part. You have to find somebody who actually knows how to take a good picture of you. Um, Like I, I took classes in taking pictures in college. I was a journalism and economics major. Journalism majors, they go through and, you know, learn how to write, learn how to talk. Uh, I didn't take any of those classes, in case you hadn't noticed. Uh, But I did take some photography classes, uh, visual media classes. So I can take a good picture. Uh, I don't like, because I know how to take pictures, having pictures taken of me that aren't good. And so you have to, like, find somebody who actually knows how to take a picture and it's just it's just the whole thing is just a hassle in a way that having a funny thought typing it out real quick is not plus like if a girl likes me she's liking me for my brain and my weird sense of humor and not for the the, the five foot eight whatever scrawny frame 
Okay. Uh, what was the actual comment? Do we need to dig into Tinder? Ah, we can do one quick Tinder thing. Um, here is something that I've learned about Tinder, and that's that it's a lot harder in Denver than in other places. And it was something I wasn't totally sure about, but when I got here, I was like, huh. The girls that I'm matching with are not the same as the girls that I've matched with in other places in the past. And so, you know, in Montana, like you match, you're like, okay, yeah. You're like, do we really want to dig in? You guys get what I'm saying. You guys get what I'm saying. Tinder in Denver is a lot harder than Tinder in Montana. Um, but when I made that trip to Oregon, this is when it really like sunk in because I wasn't totally sure. I was like, well, maybe my perspective is just changing. Maybe like changing my profile to like this kind of stuff, more Denver stuff just didn't work like for whatever reason. Then I go out to Oregon for that, uh, Oregon game. And all of a sudden matches everywhere. It's, it's like I'm a Denver six, but an Oregon eight. And I'm not sure what to do with that information. Uh, this is way too long to be talking about this. I think that that has to be my last take on this subject. If you want to hear more about my experience with various dating apps or Instagram or any of that, put that in the comment section and we can really dig in because I have some takes on all of this. Um, number one, though, is that I just I just don't do well in Denver. Like, I'm not sure if it's just because like they're more better men, you know, like maybe they have more stable, less weird jobs um, who make more money. Or maybe it's because I'm like five foot eight and all these men are just like jacked. Uh, this sounds like it's like a weird lack of confidence thing, but it's really not. These are just like honest observations that I'm pretty chill with. Uh, but yeah, as soon as you go somewhere else, something about me becomes more marketable. Okay. Weird note to end on. We're going to be back at Blake Street Tavern tonight recording another podcast. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who's going to be there, honestly, because I don't know exactly yet who will be there. Uh, hopefully people you like, and we'll have that out for you tomorrow morning, Friday morning. Be like a fun game day pod. Maybe get a little hypey about this football team. I've heard some of the guests aren't feeling too hypey, and that's too bad, but who can blame them? That's a low note to end on. USC, 4-0 at home, 0-3 on the road. They're coming to Boulder. The Buffs have a chance. They have a real chance here. USC's hurt all over. The Buffs have been trying to figure out how to fix details because they've been blowing details for a couple weeks. There you go. There's there's the high notes. That's why this game could be a win. Pac-12 after dark. Anything happens. Boom. USC doesn't play well in cold weather games. Here's a weird stat. Uh... I don't have their actual record, but in the course of their history, according to the like media guide they send out every week, uh, USC has lost a, a disproportionate amount of games in cold weather versus in warm weather. The way that they count whether the weather is good or bad, and this is coming straight from them, is based on whether media reports of the game included mentions of the cold weather. So it's not based on like degrees or whether it's snowing or anything like that. It's just based on whether when they went back and read what the newspapers had to say, whether they said, yeah, it was cold, which I don't know. I guess like it, it depends on the game. I thought that that was kind of like a weird thing. Um, that, that's what USC does. And hopefully tomorrow it's going to be pretty chilly. Hopefully some of the snow sticks around because those Southern California guys aren't into that. Turns out Steven Montez also isn't now that I think of it. Should run the ball. Should run the ball a lot anyway. Okay. 
I'm going to get out of here. I'll be back later. Uh, sign up for a membership with BSN Denver. We're a lot of fun. Lots of fun Nuggets coverage coming out. If you guys are into the Nuggets at all, you should be into the Nuggets a lot more than you currently are. And I don't care if you're like a straight up diehard. That team is fun. They beat Portland in a fun game. Uh, and we had a, a bunch of fun coverage. So we're all pretty proud of what they're doing. Uh, okay. I'm actually leaving now. Okay, bye. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holland get a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. Might not swear, I think they like my Colorado sway. See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And boat is where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And when you playing with you, you can get